We are now firmly in an era where home prices are going down in America and people really need to start understanding that. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder, Adam Taggart. It's now hard to deny that the housing bubble 2.0 popped in 2022 as mortgage rates more than doubled. But the fallout, especially in terms of price declines, has likely only just begun. The real damage from this bubble burst should occur over the coming year. How bad is it likely to get? And where will the pain be felt most? For answers, we turn to housing analyst Nick Jurley of ReVenture Consulting, who's kindly returning to the program to provide his latest outlook. Nick, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be back with you, Adam. There's lots of crazy things going on in the housing market right now, and I'm really excited to talk to you about them. Great. Well, look, you know, you've you've been very gracious in coming on this program over the past couple of quarters. And I feel, Nick, we, we've now shifted from the academic to the real, where, you know, you were talking a lot about the risks to the housing market earlier this year. And uh, and now we're actually seeing, um, you know, the market freeze up in a lot of places and actually some price declines in some places. So it looks like a lot of what you've been sort of warning about is now beginning to get validated. I also know you've sort of been traveling across the country, getting a lot of kind of boots on the ground intelligence and a lot of markets. So I can't wait to dig into that with you. Uh, long list of questions, but let's start with a very general one, which just to the high level, what's your current assessment of the U.S. housing market? Yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, right now there's absolutely no home buyers. We're at a close to a 10-year low in home buyer demand in the U.S. housing market right now. And in certain cities, home buyer demand is down 50% year over year. We have half as many buyers today that we did a year ago. And of course, that is now causing prices to go down. It took a couple months for these price declines to get going, but we are now firmly in an era where home prices are going down in America. And people really need to start understanding that, that if they buy a house today, it's very likely that the value of that house three, six, nine, 12 months down the road is going to be lower than it is today. And certain cities have already seen very, very big price declines. All right. So uh, Nick Jurley, who has been ringing the bell that um, the housing market's going to correct and that housing prices are going to go down, is now saying, it's happening, folks. Um, all right, we're going to get into the details. Uh, there are a lot of reasons, actually, why housing prices uh, can be going down. Um, some related to inventory, some related to cooling economy, layoffs, et cetera, a number of other factors. I think the primary one, though, is what's changed with mortgage rates this year. I mentioned briefly in the intro that they've more than doubled. Um, I just want to ask you sort of just academically, Nick, um, put yourself back at January 1st of this year, 2022. And I tell you that mortgage rates are going to go from, you know, three, maybe even a little under three, as we saw in 2021, uh, to up to close to seven. Um, I think mortgage rates right now are around like 6.3, 6.4, whatever. Um, but if I told you mortgage rates were going to do that over the course of the year, just mathematically, what type of price correction would you have expected, just given the mathematical inverse relationship sure. between mortgage rates and home prices? Sure. I would have expected just on uh, the mathematical relationship, a 30 to 40% decline in home prices to bring back affordability into the housing market, given the big increase in mortgage rates. Okay. 
So just from the mortgage rate increase alone, you're thinking, okay, should be about a 30 to 40% correction. Um, uh, you know, we'll get into what we're beginning to see in, in some markets. You mentioned that prices are beginning to decline. I, I'm guessing we are only seeing very small percentages so far, meaning there's a lot more to go before we get to that 30 to 40% range. And then again, there's some other factors that are going on in certain markets. You know, like I mentioned, inventory, layoffs, et cetera, that could exacerbate things potentially even further. So yeah. what I just want to underscore for folks here is that we are in the very likely in the very early innings, maybe still inning one of the actual price correction for the market. That's right. And I just want to jump in here, Adam, and say mortgage rates have had a huge impact on home buyer demand and home prices. But what I don't want people to believe and think is that it's only related to mortgage rates. What you got to understand is that we're at the end of a 10 to 11 year housing expansion cycle right now, where we've used up a lot of the home buyer demand, especially over the last two to three years, people who would have purchased in 2024 or 2023, they purchased already in 2021. So an additional uh, thing that's occurring in the housing market, yes, higher mortgage rates is pushing buyers out, but a lot of the buyers have already purchased. From a demographic standpoint, there simply aren't enough home buyers left in the U.S. housing market. And that's a situation that's going to worsen as the recession gets worse as well. So, you know, this increase in mortgage rates has had a huge impact in 2022. But as you said, this is inning one, inning two of a multi-year housing correction that has a lot of different things going on behind it. Great. And it's multi-causal. Um, so interesting point you just mentioned about we, we've pulled demand from future years in, and, and, and now we're going to have less demand going forward because of that. Um, can you explain the main drivers for that? Um, I, I do know that a lot of millennials uh, did buy in 2021, especially, and I've seen recent articles that have said that that a lot of them have a ton of buyer's remorse at this point. They felt like they kind of got in because of FOMO and they were being pressured. If you don't get in now, you're going to be priced out of the market. And now they're watching the market cool off. At the same time, they're realizing that like, wow, homeownership is isn't exactly the dream I thought it was. And a lot of them overextended themselves. Uh, and so they've got very high mortgage payments and they're now realizing that there are maintenance costs and all sorts of other issues that come along with owning a house. Um, was, it, was it primarily FOMO? Was it any other factor? Sure. I mean, it was FOMO. It was the pandemic, right? I mean, it was logical for a while there in 2020 and 2021 to want to move out of your apartment in the city and go buy a house in the suburbs or a rural area. You know, that made a lot of sense during the pandemic, especially with record low mortgage rates. So that induced forward a lot of demand for both home buyers uh, and eventually renters, which we'll talk about later in this video, the decline in renter demand that's occurring right now. And so structurally, there's just not as many people looking to buy and especially to make that like move across America, whether it's from California or New York to Texas uh, or to Florida, there's just not as many people, period left to make that move right now. And this is how housing cycles work. Whether you go to the, the big housing crash in the mid to late 2000s, or you go to the regional housing crashes we had in the early 90s, it always works like this. Uh, you know, the mortgage rates go up, the home builders go crazy, just as the structural buyer demand goes down. And that leaves you with a big housing crash where prices have multiple years of declined, uh, declines ahead. Interesting. Um, you know, I remember a year, year and a half ago, I live here in California, Lots of stories about how you couldn't get your hands on a U-Haul truck in California to go, you know, move somewhere else because everybody was doing that and they were just in such high demand and it was incredibly cheap. 
to rent a, a U-Haul to bring it into California because everybody wanted them here. That's right. Are, are we still seeing those crazy imbalances or or is this all moderating now? You know, I, well, yeah, answer that. And then also too, you know, I've heard you say in previous discussions with you that you you, you think eventually this whole great migration that the, the COVID uh, unlocked may actually start going into reverse as employers start demanding that people start working in the office and maybe people realize hey, living out in East wherever now, you know, East remote place um, isn't all it was cracked up. I, I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So we're seeing a huge slowdown in migration, especially from those states like California and New York to states like Tennessee, Florida, uh, in Texas. I was just in Tennessee for the last two weeks. And I, I looked at Nashville, I looked at Chattanooga, I looked at Knoxville, I talked to realtors, and they were all saying the same thing. Huge slowdown in those inbound buyers coming from other states, which is a huge problem because these local housing markets where you know a lot of the local population does not make a lot of money. We're talking about you know median household incomes of forty, fifty thousand dollars in some case in some cases. Well, you know, it was the the inbound buyers from California making 300k who purchased the homes in cash and pushed prices up 50% in two years. Well, who's gonna now buy that house at a 50% premium? It's not gonna be the local home buyer who's making fifty thousand dollars a year. And so that means that prices structurally are going to have to go down in many of these markets and go down by a lot more than they have already. All right. I know we're early on in this, so it might be too soon to see this if it's going to happen, but is there the potential or any signs that we're seeing of, of almost a reversal? Like some percentage of the folks that fled the big metropolitan areas for these, these smaller cities and more rural areas changing their mind and coming back either because they don't like it there or because they, they have to move back to where the jobs are that can support uh, you know, their lifestyle. I think we're in the beginning stages of seeing the reversal. So the slow, let's just say the slowdown and people moving to those areas, we are well into the slowdown. We are now also just beginning to see the reversal. So when you look at inventory data by zip code, for instance, and by county, the zip codes in the counties in America with the biggest increase in homes just sitting vacant on the market are all of these suburban and rural locations in a Tennessee, in a Utah, in a Phoenix, in a Texas. Uh, so that's indicating what we're talking about here. Number one, the slowdown in migration buyers, but then number two, like you just said, we're now seeing people move back to the city, especially uh, of maybe a younger population doing that. Uh, all right, interesting. And 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 we'll have you back on this channel, uh, you know, to be able to give updates here as you see real data. But is your expectation that we will see an increase in a reversal as time goes on here? I think so, because when you think about the recession, right, when you think about what's happening with remote work, slowly but surely, more people are getting called back into the office. And slowly but surely, more people are getting laid off. I mean, imagine if, you know, someone had a remote job, I'm sure many of your viewers do, uh, and, you know, maybe someone had a remote job and they moved from California to Tennessee because their job was remote and then they got laid off and they don't have any like professional contacts or network in Tennessee. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to move back to California where their family and their professional network is. Right. And I think we're going to see more and more of that uh, as this recession gets worse. And we're going to see a trend where people actually want to be in the places where the jobs are, you know, mm. a reversal of what occurred during the pandemic. And I'm not saying remote work is going away forever. Clearly, some element of it is here to stay. But we have clearly passed peak remote work. That is in the rearview mirror. Peak remote work occurred in 2021. Each year from here on out, the amount of remote workers is going to go down. And that's going to have a big impact on which housing markets have the biggest crash.
All right. All right. Well, very, very interesting point. Okay. So before we move off this initial point about mortgage rates, is there any reason that you see to expect relief on mortgage rates, uh, you know, at least in the next year or so, or, or do you see them as continuing to remain elevated, perhaps even going higher? There's, I think there's definitely going to be relief on mortgage rates. We're already seeing mortgage rates start to go down from 7.2 to 6.2, still very high. But from what I'm seeing in the trajectory of the economy, you know, in a recessionary environment, interest in mortgage rates on the long end tend to go down. And I know that sounds contrary to what Jerome Powell is saying you know, right now about how they're going to keep hiking rates and keep rates high. But when you look at long-term bond yields, they're going down. They indicate that this is going to be a pretty big recession. And eventually, I believe the Fed is going to be forced to pivot, uh, which is going to cause mortgage rates to go down in conjunction with the recession that drives people to buy long-term bonds, which further pushes mortgage rates down. So I wouldn't be surprised by the end of 2023 if the mortgage rate is back down to around 5%, maybe the high 4% range. Okay. Um, and that may be the only silver lining in this. Well, I don't want to say the only silver lining in the story, but but that could be one of the silver linings in the story, which is that mortgages may become cheaper to get as the year progresses. Now, that may be due to lots of other reasons that are negative for home prices, like big layoffs, powerful recession, that type of stuff. Um, but at least they're not going even higher. At least you don't expect them to go higher. I, I, I don't expect them to go higher. And, and, and the thing that really and I actually want to just address a point there. There's a lot of people seem to think, they just seem to think housing market is just 100% linked to mortgage rates, right? And so rates are up. So they think housing market's down and they think if mortgage rates go back down, housing market's going to go back up. It does not tend to work like that in housing downturns and recessions. If you go back to the last crash from 2007 to 2012, mortgage rates went down throughout that crash from 6% all the way to the high 3% range. That's a great point. That did not stop the last housing crash. Right, you can still have uh, a is, you can still have a bust as rates go down. You will 100% have a bust as rates go down. This is what happened in the regional housing crashes in the early 90s. The bigger uh, thing that starts occurring is what I said earlier. We ran out of home buyers. We're running out of home buyers structurally. Our population isn't growing enough to support all the home building. Right, those things start to take over. In addition, a declining price environment that trumps everything. Right. If the, more and more the mentality gets baked into people's minds that home prices are going down, uh, yeah, mortgage rates could go down from six to five, but there's no uh, incentives, there's no push, there's no rush. In fact, if the mentality becomes that both prices and rates are going to go down more into the future, well, then actually you have no ins or uh, very little incentive to buy today. Right. If you think and both you prices and rates are going to go down. Right. You have little incentive to buy and you have a lot of incentive to sell. That's right? right. Because I'm going to get a better price today than if I wait. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And in the end, right, it all comes back to the fundamentals. You know, <laughs> you know, these things we're talking about are kind of like, you know, ideas and theories and speculation, but it comes down to the fundamentals. Right. How many jobs are there? How much right. money? Uh, how much money are people making? Like, what's the median income? And, you know, how much do they need to pay for a house? And do those fundamentals uh, say that prices are going to go up or down? Right. And right now, those fundamentals say that we're still in the largest housing bubble ever. So despite the recent decline in prices, we are still in a bigger bubble than we were in 06 when looking at inflation adjusted home prices. All so, right, great. And you've, you've got some great charts on price, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But before we get to price, um, let's just let's get to transactions, right? Uh, sure. Because that tends to be a, a very big indicator in where prices are going. And 
you know, as you've said, we've been in this big housing bubble. <clears throat> housing got to housing affordability just kept plunging right all the way past bunch of years through the end of last year. Um, and then actually, it's gotten even worse this year, even though there's been some some uh, decreases in, in price in certain markets. Um, because it, mortgage rates have gone up. So like right now, in certain cases, you could almost say it's the absolute worst time to buy a house because you're still getting a very elevated price in most cases at a very elevated uh, mortgage rate. That's right. right. So what we're seeing here, what I think we're seeing, and you you, you uh, correct any of this, but is we're basically seeing sort of like a high noon standoff right now, like two Western gunslingers, you know, uh, facing off buyers one side, sellers on the other squinty-eyed, wondering which one's going to blink first, right? And uh, I, you mentioned that we were seeing some pretty substantial uh, declines in buyer demand. I just want to put up a chart here of yours, which has uh, 25 major metros um, going from Austin at the bottom to Las Vegas at the top uh, that are seeing price declines, or sorry, uh, sales declines in November of down anywhere from 40 to 50%. That's right. year over year, right? So basically just the transaction volume is just going into cardiac arrest here because the sellers don't want to sell and admit that they get to start getting lower prices. And the buyers, as you said earlier, don't want to buy because they both think the affordability is really bad right now, but the increasing data is suggesting that lower prices are ahead. And so they want to wait. You nailed it. So so there's a couple of truths to this housing market right now. Number one, prices are going down nationally. That's a fact. And in certain cities are going down already 10 to 15%. That's a fact. However, what's also a fact is that like you're saying, sellers are still very stubborn, especially in certain cities and certain markets. And a lot of sellers basically saw their neighbor a year ago, you know, sell their house, say for 600 grand. And the market's now saying, well, it's worth 475. And that seller doesn't want to sell for 475. They still have this mentality that prices are going to come back up. Uh, it's going to be a better spring buying season. Like that's the one narrative I see floated among a lot of sellers and realtors is that spring 2023, buyers are going to come back. And, you know, they're telling themselves these things. And that's causing kind of the purgatory situation in the housing market right now that you're referring to. But the thing you got to understand is you got to look at like buyers, right? Buyers aren't not buying because of a discretionary choice. They're not buying because they cannot qualify for the mortgages and they cannot afford the homes. That is why buyers are not buying, right? It's not really a choice. Sellers are choosing not to uh, lower their list price in certain cases, right? That's a discretionary choice. And at a certain point in time in the housing crash and the recession, it's not going to be choice anymore for sellers. Layoffs, huge levels of home building, foreclosures, that's going to force even more inventory onto the market. And what I predict is going to happen at sometime in 2023 is a lot of these sellers who are kind of thinking like, oh, it's not that bad. They're all going to wake up at once. And maybe it'll be a certain trigger. I can't exactly predict when it's going to be or what it's going to be, but they're going to wake up at once and all rush to cut the price. And the, the sellers who were delaying listing their homes are going to rush to list their homes. And it's going to be a big, big problem. All right. Um, really glad to hear you say that because I've I've been sort of postulating that in in re recent videos here that it's going to be sort of like a dam burst process, like you're saying, where there's just going to be a little trickle, a little trickle, and then bang, the the floodgates are going to open. That's right. um, and to your point, you know, um, 
there are always going to be, even if the sellers try to be unified, hey, everybody, let's not sell, right? We don't want to let the set a new comp that's lower, right? There are always going to be some organic transactions that have to happen, right? Yeah, there's going to be deaths. There's going to be divorces. People are going to get laid off. Um, and so you're going to have some percentage of volume that goes on. And as you and I have talked often about, housing is priced at the margin, right? So those marginal transactions are going to start resetting the values for all homes. And, you know, as we said earlier, uh, there becomes in this type of environment, a first mover advantage to sell, right? Because, hey, better I sell early on. And yeah, maybe I have to bring my price down by five or 10% from what I'd ideally like, but I'm still capturing most of my gain or my value for that my home. Whereas if I'm one of the guys who delays and, and and sells after the herd of sellers have gone through, I'm going to sell at a much lower price here, right? So it's kind of like there's no honor among thieves, right? They're all they're all holding together until somebody says, I'm too nervous. I want to be the first guy out the door. And then they panic and then everybody starts racing after that. And you know what's scary about that, Adam, is that in 2022, I mean, this is a housing market we've never seen before in US history. We have a record amount of homes that are owned by people that don't live in them on a full-time basis. Great point. You have tons of second homeowners, third homeowners, investor-owned homes. Estimates, depending on where you look from the U.S. Census Bureau CoreLogic, say there's anywhere from 20 to 30 million single-family homes in America that are investor-owned homes and second-owned homes, where the owner does not live there, right? So think about that. That's a quarter of all single-family homes in America. So think about that in terms of this logic and this thinking about what's going on in the recession. And you know, these people can easily sell. They don't live there. Right. And that's something we actually did not see in, as, as much in 06. Believe it or not, in 06, we had a higher share of people actually living as a primary occupant in the home than we do now. And so that's something, especially in investor driven housing markets, that I think could lead to a subprime 2.0 type of situation where the investors all of a sudden start selling. Like we know already, they've stopped buying uh, in a lot of markets. But once they start selling, that has the potential to just flood the market with inventory in a way that's very difficult for people to conceive of right now. Yeah, uh, so that's such a great point. Um, one, again, that um, we've talked about on this channel, like you and I have talked about too. I think last time you we were on, we were really talking about like, you know, what's the societal risk of having so much of our single home family, uh, single family home stock owned by investors? Because this time around, this cycle, We've had way more institutional investors in the mix, right? We've always had the mom and pop uh, investors, but, but we've had a ton of institutional money flood in. Um, and as you said, you know, mom and pop landlords and also uh, these institutional guys, none of them live there, right? So they're weaker hands. And the institutional side, some of those guys own a lot of inventory. And a lot yes. of it is oftentimes concentrated in the same market. And so you get a distressed uh, institutional buyer who needs to just start dumping property? I mean, you could you could literally you're using your words just flood a market. You, you could just quadruple the inventory in certain neighborhoods overnight. And I think you know I'm, I'm thinking of a city like or a metro like Atlanta. I'm thinking of Charlotte. I'm thinking of Tampa, Jacksonville, and Phoenix and Vegas. These are investor-driven markets where, in certain zip codes, investors own fifty to sixty percent of the homes. Or Isn't at least they were buying 50, 60, 50 to sixty percent of the homes the last. Couple oh, the of home years. sales were going to them. Yeah, fifty. Yeah. And, just, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you that. Fifty to sixty percent of sales 
I'm assuming during 2021 when things were 2020, 2021. And, you know, that's a situation where, you know, they own so much of the housing stock in certain neighborhoods. And a lot of people seem to think that like the institutional ownership, like I've seen this argument, I see it still in news articles. They say institutional ownership means there won't be a crash. Like I see that logic is the idea is like these big, bad investors like Blackstone, they'll never sell. Right. They've got uh, big which is balance sheets. They've got lots of cash. Yeah. Blackstone on their, uh, I think it was a retail fund a couple of weeks ago, just had to shut off redemptions because all their investors wanted to take the cash out. Right. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I think one of the biggest uh, things people misconstrue is that these institutional investors are this all powerful, all knowing, uh, these all powerful, all knowing entities. They are not. They definitely aren't. And what, what is factual right now is that a lot of them are buying and owning at a loss. When you look at their cost of capital, whether it be through mortgage-backed security that they raise or through a, a floating rate credit facility that funds their purchases, their cost of capital is now 5 6%, which is more than the cap rate and the return and the income they're actually getting from renting out the property. So a lot of these investors are already losing money, not just on the appreciation going down, but on cash flow after paying their lender. And you know, to me, this segues into the biggest story I think in the housing market right now is the declining rental market. Because if you're an investor, whether you're big or small, you, know, you can get your mind around the idea, maybe oh, prices are gonna go down 15, 20%. And maybe you like that as an investor, you're like, you know what, I'm gonna buy at a 20% decline. But if rents continue to go down, which we just had back-to-back months of some of the biggest rent declines in the last decade, if that continues, well, then it's a huge problem for investors because they don't even know what to pay or how to buy, uh, buy an asset because they don't even know what they're going to be able to rent it for tomorrow. And so that to me is one of the biggest stories that's not getting enough attention in the housing market is this rental market is declining. Rents are going down and they're going down fast. Okay. That's a, that's a great point. Um, let's dig into this for a second. And then I actually want to get uh, back to prices for a minute because you've got some great charts on prices too. Uh, for for sales um, versus rentals. Um, all right, so uh, two things you sent me before we started here. One is uh, this uh, quote here, same store effective asking rents for new leases nationally fell 0.9% in November. That marked the third largest month over month cut since 2010, right? Which is when we were just beginning to, you know, in the tail end of the last housing bust, right? Um, and then you've got this great chart here um, about um, actually showing that, and uh, you know you can see here in the cycle, um, yeah, you know we we haven't seen uh, certainly months of declining rents for a while, and as you said earlier, uh, you know ultimately uh, housing it should be a discounted cash flow analysis, right? You know uh, if, if if it's a house that's selling, it should be okay. You know what are the what's the average rent of the person in this area who can support this home price? And in the case of an apartment in, in a rental, it's okay, you know, what can I charge for rents? And then let me just discount out the future stream of those rents and come up with a value. Well, if the rents are going down, just mathematically, that discounted total value has to go down along with it, right? So uh, the the return of on investment prospects are beginning uh, to look diminished here. And, and, and I want to compare that comment with a chart of yours based on uh, something you just said a few minutes ago, which is that um, the, the cap rates uh, have been declining now um, in, in housing, which means basically the return that investors are getting for what they're paying is going down. 
and they have actually now recently been exceeded by the the yield on a U.S. Treasury note. That's right. Right. So, so all of a sudden, it's like okay, I could I could be a landlord. I could buy a property, take on all the risk associated with that investment, and then the hassle of being a landlord and getting called in the middle of the night when the plumbing breaks, and then worry that my tenants might trash my place and disappear in the middle of the night, and just all the unknowns and and hassle that comes along with that. Or I could just put my money in a treasury note and get a, a guaranteed risk-free return that that looks like it's superior at this point in time. That's right. I mean, and, and that's really one of the biggest statistics that, that tells you about what's going to happen in the housing market, right? That these 25 million investors who own single-family homes, a lot of them can now make as much or more money by just simply selling their house and buying a one-year U.S. Treasury bill. I mean, that's insane. That's wild. And it makes you realize that today's inflated housing market was just, you know, was largely a product of an artificially low in interest rate regime, right? Not just during the pandemic, but for the, you know, five to six years before the pandemic as well, artificially low interest in mortgage rates. Uh, they pushed up values. They made a three or 4% cap rate not look so bad. But now that the interest rates have gone up a lot, I mean, it's a money losing venture. And, it, you know, I, I don't want to sound too bearish, but legitimately, Buying real estate is a bad investment right now. There's no sugarcoating that. You can make more money by owning U.S. Treasuries, short-term U.S. Treasuries. You know, real estate's a bad investment. Prices are going down. Now, by the way, there's a record number of homes actively under construction, homes and apartments that are going to be delivered in 2023, just yeah. as all this other stuff is happening. You, you've, you've got a chart here that I'll put up and I'll let you talk to you, but this is the apartment construction backlog chart. And, and this thing is basically doing a moonshot. Um, I mean, it looks like it's been going on in the past couple of years, but certainly in the past year or two, uh, it's getting back to highs that haven't been seen since the mid seventies. That's right. We're at a 50 year high in apartments under construction and 2023 is going to be the biggest year ever for new apartment completions and additional apartment inventory added to the, to the market. 2023 is going to be the biggest year ever. And not only have we had a lot of apartment developers who saw the rent growth, you know, they saw the rent growth in 2021, which was huge, 20%. We've never seen that before. So they said, let's build an apartment building. You know, they didn't really realize that that rent growth wasn't legit and wasn't here to stay. So now they're building an apartment, which takes 18 to 24 months, right. you know, from, you know, initial permitting to completion. And so, you know, these apartments are just going to continue to get delivered, right? Single family homes are a bit different because we've seen builders kind of pull back a little bit on single family home construction over the last six months, because it's kind of easier for them to just say, Hey, I'm not going to finish this one house or do this one house, but an apartment building, that's 300 units that you just got to finish. Uh, once you start it. And so uh, we're going to just see rents go down for a long time, in my opinion, due to this added inventory. I mean, I was just in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, which is like one of these boom towns, right? Um, I was looking at apartments. I toured apartments that were 50% vacant. They've been open for a year. They're 50% vacant. They're all wow. giving two months free rent. Uh, right now they're giving two months free rent. And you just see all the cranes. Uh, and you realize 2023, there's going to be even more. So in a market like Nashville or in Austin, like I think rents are going to go down by 10 to 15%. Right. Well. And that's what I was going to say. Most of this construction is probably in the hottest markets, right? It's, it's that, that's what attracted, you know, all the developers, right? Is there was so much demand in these markets. Yeah. 
Austin and Phoenix, markets like Austin and Phoenix have close to a 10% expansion of their apartment product currently under construction. Wow. Which is, which and, is insane. And, you know, you talked about like moving incentives and stuff. That's all stuff that we see before the real price declines start, right? They, they try to use as many gimmicks as they can to get you in the door before they actually start lowering rents, correct? That's right. That's right. In apartments, they use concessions a lot. And it depends on the owner. Some use concessions, others just lower the rent. But here's another thing that no one's really thinking about. But apartment rents now are set by an algorithm. Uh, most properties use RealPage as their management software. And you know, RealPage will just suggest what the rent should be for that day. So rents change every day based on an algorithm, which is based on what the rents are everywhere else in the city. But, but what tends to happen, I think, in the downturn, this algorithm actually causes the, the, the decline in rents to be even bigger. And so in, in many ways, this is like not your parents' housing market or rental market anymore. We got investors buying and selling homes. We got algorithms setting rent. And I think that's just going to mean a more volatile housing market into the future. Wow. Okay. Interesting. It also begs the question... Um... You know, the same thing happens in the stock market, right? You know, there's a lot of, I mean, a ton of trading now is done by by algorithms, um, but they're only as good as the humans who program them, right? And uh, if they're written by people who only know a market that that goes up, which largely was the case in the markets, you know, for the past decade plus, when markets start going down, a lot of times the algorithms start seeing scenarios that they're not programmed right. for. So they just, in, in the case of the HFTs, they, they just go to sleep, right? Which is sometimes why we see those flash crashes happen in the markets. I wonder if there's going to be an equivalent uh, in some of these, these real estate markets well, where the, the algorithm just starts spitting out something nonsensical because well, it just well, wasn't expecting rents to go into reverse. We already saw this happen. Like during the pandemic in the Bay Area, rents went down 20% in a matter of six months, right? And I think the rental vacancy rate in the Bay Area, I mean, there's a big exodus, but the, it went from like 5% to 10% vacancy. So it was still 90% occupied, but the rents went down 20% in six months. Interesting. We actually already saw an example of this happen. And so, um, yeah, don't be surprised if rents go down by a lot, which just to tie it together, right? If you're looking at buying a house, like why does rents going down matter? Well, it's saying basically um, that there's not enough demand in the housing market overall, right? Like today's renters are tomorrow's buyers. And if rents are going down and there's not enough renters today, well, then there's not going to be enough buyers tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of like couples who are in their early thirties, maybe in renting, maybe they'd be a buyer in 2023. Well, all of a sudden they get a two month, two month free rent and the rent goes down 5%. They're going to stay a renter. And that's going to deprive the housing market of more buyers in future years. And so the, the real takeaway here is we are in a overall housing recession. It's not just mortgage rates. Overall, there's not enough people to fill these housing units at these prices and rents. And prices and rents are going to have to go down by a lot to so, entice the demand back in. So there are people watching this, I'm sure, who are like, but 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 we've been told that there's just not enough inventory out there. And that's why housing's not going to go down, right? Um, yeah, you, you sort of punctured that that narrative when you talked about how there's 20 to 30 million units out there, basically a fourth, uh, sorry, a quarter of the um the U.S. housing stock that's owned by these investors and is not, um, you know, the residence of the primary owner, right? So, um, you know, that suggests that there's a lot of that inventory that that could come back online as 
not a rental or a Airbnb or whatever, and could enter the housing stock. You've just talked about the the high levels of construction that we're seeing right now. Um, so just talk for a moment about that that perception, which to me maybe sounds like a pretty big misperception that there isn't this chronic inventory shortage that's that's going to defend against lower prices. Yeah, and really that that narrative was fueled by a couple different studies. One study was commissioned by the National Association of Realtors, which found that we underbuilt uh, by five million homes over the last twenty years. There's a variety of number, yeah. statistics out there which say we have not been building enough housing in the last decade, especially, and that that's the logic behind us having a shortage. However, what almost all of those analyses fail to account for is demand. They simply look at supply and housing unit construction, uh, and they rightfully say that in the last 10 years, housing unit construction was much lower than the previous 10 years or the previous 20 years. And that's, that's true. But what they don't also realize is that the demand is way lower from a structural standpoint. Population growth in America has plummeted over the last five years, especially. Over the last three years, uh, permitting has outstripped population growth. That's the first time that's ever happened in US history. We're permitting more housing units than our population is growing by. First time that's ever happened. Uh, Demographically, there's huge problems in the US housing market over the long run. More and more of the housing stock is getting soaked up by seniors, which there's nothing wrong inherently with that. 25% of housing units are occupied by seniors, but you know, what does that say about what's going to happen to inventory over the next 10 to 15 years? Uh, inventory uh, is going to perpetually increase, unfortunately, as seniors uh, maybe pass away or move into nursing homes. Meanwhile, young adults under 30 are only occupying 10% of the U.S. housing stock. Seniors at 25%, under 30 at 10%. And right, so, so these I've, are the I've been... harsh Sorry demographic realities uh, for, the, for the housing market. I've, I've been showing, as you've been talking, I've been showing your chart um, that, that shows this bifurcation of ownership between seniors uh, and young adults. And um, <clears throat> you can see the senior um, chart really hockey sticks uh, after basically the last uh, housing boom, right, or bust. Um, and I think a big dynamic there, and correct me if this perception's wrong, is that um, it was presumed that as boomers hit retirement age, which they now have been doing to the tune of 10,000 a day, right? 10,000 boomers still turn 65 years old a day, um, that they would start downsizing, right? Okay, you know, our kids are long gone. We're older now. We don't need as big of a house. And what seems to have been happening, I've heard a lot of this, at least anecdotally, but I think it's borne out in the data too, is that a lot of them didn't downsize or they did but they didn't sell their prime their their former residence, and because it had kept appreciating year after year, they held onto it, just like they were the stocks in their portfolios, right? And so they would rent it out, um, and and now we're at the point where the boomers are, um, uh, you know, they're getting older now. Um, now, you know, in a lot of cases, um, they may be looking at their retirement as the home equity that's built up in those residences, and again. A number of which they don't live in anymore. They're just renting out. So to your earlier point about sort of weaker hands, if they start feeling like, oh gosh, we're now in a housing market correction and that's where my retirement funds are are stored. Well, I got to sell quick. At least I got to sell the house I'm not living in quick um, because I want to preserve as much of that equity as I can, right? So you've got that selling pressure. And then at some point, 
those boomers are just going to sadly, you know, start dying off or start having to go to the nursing homes at the rate of 10,000 a day, to your point. And that's going to start flooding a lot more inventory, probably for a very long while in the housing market. So I don't want to sound overly pessimistic here, but but could we sort of see a a a, a housing correction for the, you know, the soup of issues we're talking about right now that lasts for a number, a couple of years, but then is followed by a, a much longer depressive era of just boomers, you know, dying, going to the nursing home and, and, and shedding all that inventory as well. Yeah. I mean, that's a distinct possibility, you know, and it's tough to predict timing on that, you know, um, but I think that is a distinct possibility. This could not, this might not just be a short-term three to four year housing downturn. This could be a 10 to 15 year housing downturn. Uh, maybe not in the sense that like prices that entire time are just collapsing, but it could be that prices go down for two, three years, and then they just flatline for a decade. I mean, that's a situation that could happen. And when you really think about it, we're exiting what was a 30 to 40 year bull run in the housing market. You know, if you look at the graph on inflation adjusted home prices, yeah, we had the run up in 06 and the dip, but, you know, basically over the last 30 years, prices, home prices have just gone up. And um, we could be entering a new environment where that doesn't happen. And I think, you know, I, I would encourage people to look at this positively. I don't think the housing market should be uh, this entity and this asset that just goes up by 10% a year, uh, you know, and that prices people out. It should be uh, something that fulfills a need for someone in their life, you know, whether they uh, need space for a child or they're getting married and they want their own house. Um, you know, that's what uh, a home should be. And so I would encourage people to look at this positively, that we could be entering a long-term era of cheaper home prices in America that affords more opportunity to people across the age and income spectrum to participate in the U.S. housing market. Yeah, prior to really the Alan Greenspan era, um, when this sort of successive cycle of, of booms uh, were created, asset bubbles were created, um, housing basically appreciated at the same rate as inflation. I mean, it was, I think the average, you know, or appreciation rate or whatever for housing was, was sort of like the long-term average was like, like 1% a year or something like that. Like it was, it was not a um, speculative asset the way that it's become that you buy and you try to flip for a profit in a couple of years. Um, it really was just a forced savings mechanism where you would, you know, pay your mortgage every year. And hopefully by the time you were in your twilight years, you had a bunch of home equity built up, right? Um, so uh, that is a much more sane way, I think, to run your housing stock. Uh, and boy, wouldn't it be wonderful, you know, you, you show here that young adults under 30 own, uh, you know, less than 11% of the market. That's because they, they can't own more. They literally don't have the funds to be able to do that. They have been priced out. That's created all sorts of issues for family formation. And that's when you end up with the you know, 35-year-old living in his folks' basement and stuff like that. That's just not good for society. So I certainly hope you're proven right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I will be. I mean, when I look at the data, I don't really see any other way for this to go. Now, let me let me just play devil's advocate for a second and maybe give the one way that I could be wrong and that home prices could go up over the long run. And um, that would be through inflation, right? And so uh, you were mentioning the long-term housing statistics and how over the long run, home prices uh, go with the rate of inflation. But what they really do is they go with uh, income. It's income that determines home prices in the long run. How much are incomes going up 
Uh, and uh, typically home price growth over the long run will match that income growth. And what happened in the 1970s, we should just talk about the 1970s real quick. You know, that was the last big bout of inflation we had in America. It was a decade of inflation. And the housing market did very well in the 1970s. It was maybe the maybe next to gold, it was the best performing asset. And the reason it did well was not because of uh, the fact that the cost of everything else went up. The reason it did well was because incomes grew significantly. Incomes grew at a rate of seven, eight, nine percent per year in the 1970s throughout the decade. So that is the one way that home prices could continue to go up is that if we are in an era of seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 percent income and wage growth for the next five, six, seven years, then that would be a mechanism that does uh, put a floor on the decline in home prices and could cause them to go up over the long run. So I just want people to be aware of that. Um, I don't personally think we are in an era of a 1970s style inflation and income growth. But if we were, that would be the one way that prices could go up in the long run, despite these demographic headwinds. Right, right. Um, I, I guess it's fair to say, <clears throat> given how you look at the market right now, um, barring any major intervention, you think the odds are really good that that housing prices are going to deflate. Um that said, you know, there have been folks that I've interviewed recently on this channel who think that uh, the Fed is creating a far worse recession next year than it, it should be, and that uh, it's probably going to break something systemically important. And that as a result, we may see the kind of stimulus response necessary, you know, on the same scale of sort of what we saw, you know, during the pandemic. And my, so what I'm trying to say there, Nick, is, is if indeed we had a, a whole bunch of monetary and fiscal stimulus to the tune of trillions come back in here, yeah, maybe that could actually change things. That would be something that could change things. Um, you know, people need to make up their own mind if they think that's going to happen or not. No one truly knows. It's speculative at this point. Uh, and if it does in 12 to 18 months, you know, it's worth revisiting the conversation. But I think for me, it's, you know, largely, what do we know? We do know that inflation-adjusted home prices are in the biggest bubble ever, even with the recent decline. We know that the ratio of home prices to median income is at the highest rate ever, uh, and that the housing market is tremendously overvalued by these statistics. We know that there's demographic issues, there's lots of home building, that rents are going down, and we have a lot of loose hands on the existing inventory. You know, those are all things we know factually. And to me, that says that we're going to be in for multiple years of home price declines. And you know, we're already seeing these declines, right? Austin, Texas. According to Redfin, median sale price is down 18% in the last seven months. 18% in seven months on median sale price. That's crazy. I mean, that's warp speed, actually, for a housing downturn. Typically, home prices don't go down as fast as, say, stock prices go down. But in Austin, you know, Austin's a market where we're not having this standoff. Like the sellers are giving in in Austin and will likely continue to give in over the next several years due to the issues uh, in the economy and all the home building going on in that market. Uh, you have places like Seattle and the Bay Area where prices are down 12 to 15% in the last seven months. So this is something that, again, like you said in the beginning, it's not theoretical at this point. In many cities, we are in this crash and we've been in this crash the last seven months. All right, yeah, and I, I wanna, I, so I've had this one of your charts up showing the price declines in a lot of these cities here. Um, Austin topping it at 18%. And I just want to point out for folks that you just said seven months, right? So this data is comparing May of this year with uh, 
November of this year. <clears throat> so, you know, in Austin, average loss of 18%. I mean, so pretty much everybody who bought just seven months ago has lost their down payment. That's right. Yeah. And, and there was a big rush of people who, who bought in the spring, you know, early spring, late winter. Yeah. And, and, and my point is, and sorry, oh, go ahead. As, as you would answer, I just want to bring up um, your chart here again of uh, the inflation adjusted um, home prices. So you can see here, now that we're near the end of 2022, you can see that we peaked earlier in the year and that we're coming down, but just a little. And you've got this arrow of sort of, you know, where do you think that the trajectory could take us here, given the size of the type of correction that that you're expecting here. And you can see it again that we're just in the first inning here, you know, maybe maybe the very beginning of the second inning. But like prices still very likely have a lot further to fall. So if you're in Austin, you've just seen your down payment vaporize. But you got to be wondering now, like, well, my God, like how much more is my house going to go down? Yeah. Yeah. And really, and I have some metrics that I've developed that, you know, project how much prices are going to go down in different cities and different neighborhoods. In a market like Austin, I think the, the end the end game is going to be a 35% decline uh, from peak to trough. So, you know, we're maybe halfway there in Austin. Um, it could be more than that, though. I mean, in the last housing crash, Vegas went down 63%. Right. And I'm not saying that's going to happen in Austin, but, you know, really what you got to understand about it. And if like you're a home buyer, right? Like and you're trying to decipher what all this means for you. You know, it's about understanding that prices just in general are going to go down in 2023. But in certain cities, like if your city is a, a home building city, like in Austin or Phoenix or Nashville, where there's lots of homes and apartments being built, huge risk factor. That says bigger price declines. If there's lots of investors, huge risk factor that says bigger price declines. And if you know, you've seen the prices just skyrocket above the incomes and wages in your city, that's a huge risk factor. And so there's a lot of most areas of America. I mean, I'm sitting on the sidelines throughout all of 2023. Uh, maybe there's certain cities that I think could be uh, better values uh, that won't go down as much, but uh, in a lot of different areas, it's going to be a lot of pain. Right. But the, the, it sounds like you're saying the, the, the best performers are going to be the ones that go down the least. It's not a story of, oh, here's some pockets where I think prices are going to go great. Um, it's just more who's going to avoid the pain the best. That's right. All right. Look, there's two other charts here I want to put up here. Um, one is, um, and really sort of show from a price decline standpoint, again, we're in the early innings, but it looks like we're seeing those happen um, in greater frequency in the West and that the East, um, you know, we're, we're not seeing so much price declines yet, but we're seeing price growth really start to shrink down to the low single digits here, most likely on its way to price declines. So I guess my question is, is, um, uh, is, is there a difference structurally? In, in, in other words, are, are just more of the vulnerable cities out West or is, is the West just showing the East a preview of what's to come there? It's both. It's both. So if you look at the most overvalued housing markets, they are predominantly on the West Coast. The West okay, Coast. Okay, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but as you talk about this, I'm going to put up your scatter plot chart here of home sales versus home prices because yep. I think it does a good visualization of what you're about to say. Sure, and you can see it on that scatter plot that you know the ones in the bottom left, uh, the ones with the biggest decline in buyer demand and prices, they're predominantly on the West Coast. And the reason that is, is because the West Coast had the most overvalued housing market. Obviously, California, we know is expensive, but Seattle, Boise, Denver, Salt Lake, 
all those areas are also very expensive. And basically prices just need to go down by more in those markets to get to a level that the local home buyer can afford to buy a house. So, so one half of that is yes, the West Coast in general is going to get hit harder. And that's why it's crashing first. But there's also a timing element. The West Coast was the first to boom. Back in actually even 2019, we saw Phoenix boom. We saw Vegas boom. We saw Boise boom even before the pandemic that was happening. And so uh, the West Coast boomed first. And so as a result of booming first, they're the first to crash. So I think we're going to see a lot of what we're seeing on the West Coast is just going to spread west to east. And we're already seeing this happen. I was just in the southeast on my road trip, spent a lot of time in Tennessee. That's a market where, we're, you know, on that map, we're not really seeing big price declines yet. But I'm telling you, on the ground there, you see the inventory is surging. You talk to the realtors, they're saying the buyers are gone. I think it's going to be a very similar situation in the end on the, in the southeast. Maybe the price declines aren't as big. Um, maybe instead of a 30% decline, it's a 15 to 20% decline, but the Southeast and the East Coast will definitely get hit by this housing downturn in 2023. It just might take a little longer to get there. All right. So I'm starting to try to wrap things up here, Nick. First off, thank you. This is incredibly valuable intelligence, both the charts you're showing as well as the you know, boots on the ground reports you're giving us. Um, what is your gut sense? And again, we'll have you back on this program plenty of times to give audible updates. Um, but in terms of the duration of this, like, uh, will this be a, a short and violent and, and by the, the end of 2023, most of the corrections that are going to have happened will have happened? Or do you see this as being kind of a multi-year drawn out grind? It's a great question, Adam. Um, I'm not to give a wishy-washy answer, but I'm going to give a wishy-washy answer a little bit. I'm going to say, I have two thoughts on that. One, if I'm going off history, History says this is a five-year downturn. Housing crashes historically last five years, whether it's the big national crash from 07 to 2012, whether it's a regional crash in LA in the early 90s, five years tends to be the peak to trough duration of a housing downturn. Now, I'm going to caveat that. Typically, what happens in that housing downturn is that the first two years are like the most severe. Right. Like if you go back to the late 2000s, it was 08 and 09, big declines. And then 2010, 2011, 2012 were just like kind of incremental declines after that. So I think this will be a five year downturn, but I think it's going to be front loaded in terms of the most violent declines happen in 2023 and 2024. And then, um, you know, the declines still occur, but it's incremental after that. Okay. Got it. So the, your guesstimate right now, best guesstimate is the majority of the, the clients will happen in the first year or two. And then uh, you'll have a tail of, of declines after that, but they're, they're not going to be nearly as large. That's correct. All right. Um, well, look, um, uh, I guess first question is, is there anything else from your, your travels that we haven't talked about that's worth noting here? Yeah, I was, it's more of a macro thing, but the recession you know, it's very evident when you travel around and talk to just locals in different cities, you know, meet people in real life. Uh, you know, the recession has started. It's here. Right. And maybe certain metrics don't align with that. But when you talk to the average person uh, and, and you see what's happening in, in restaurants and different businesses around America, uh, when you talk to people who work in tech, I know a lot of people who work in tech 
who've gotten laid off in the last couple of months. I mean, the recession's here and it's no joke. And so, um, you know, that's important to understand if you're a home buyer, real estate investor, you know, I think a lot of people get excited about the declines in prices, which they, you know, they should, you know, housing will get more affordable, but this recession is here and it's very likely to get worse. And so that's going to be a big headwind for the housing market. And it's going to be a big headwind for certain people personally. And so uh, it's just important to weigh those things as you're making your decision about when and where to buy a house. All right. Great, great point. And, and I've been mentioning recently on this program that uh, you know, I've been banging the drum on the, on the recession risk for a long time, for really most of 2022. And it's gotten to the point, sort of like you with housing, where it's no longer academic anymore, where there are a number of people that I know who have lost their jobs. And I'm up in the Bay Area where it's you know very tech heavy. So those layoffs are definitely hitting home. Um, and I'm hearing in more in the comments section here on Wealthion that people are saying, yeah, yeah, just 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 got notice here. So it really is becoming real. And as you and I talked about uh, one of the last times you were on, Nick, um, let's this isn't just for tech, but let's take tech as an example. You know, if somebody has relocated um, because they had a tech job that let them work rem worked remotely, I think you had some sort of stat that there's like, some multiple that you can apply to a tech worker where there's a bunch of other jobs that they're basically helping support because of their spending. That's right. right? So you lose one tech job. It actually doesn't, doesn't hurt the economy. One job's worth. It actually hurts several other jobs that were depending upon business from that tech worker. That's right. And uh, that actually statistic comes from uh, Enrico Moretti, uh, an economist, I believe from Berkeley. And uh, he found that uh, one tech job creates five, service jobs in an economy. Now that's over the long run. That's over, you know, five to 10 years. And so my implication from that data is that any tech driven city, you know, and, and yes, San Jose and, you know, lost rem remote workers, but it's still a heavily tech driven city. I think Boston, San Jose, Denver, Austin, LA, these tech and media forward cities. I mean, they could just have really big issues in their economies for a while. Uh, due to this tech downturn. As you said, it starts with layoffs at Facebook today, but that's going to be brunch spots and yoga studios closing three years from now. Right. So um, that's also going to have an impact on which housing markets go down the most and how long the downturn is. All right. All right. Um, so, you know, I kind of look at this just to put a bow on this, Nick. Um, so it sounds like you're saying, look, folks, um, this is happening. Like let the debate's over. <laughs> this this is going on. The plane is losing altitude. Start preparing accordingly. Um, and that this is a multifactorial situation here, right? Probably the the trigger for the pop could have been um, uh, the the steep rise in mortgage rates this year. But there's a whole bunch of other factors that we've talked about going on here. Um, you know, inventory, recession, mortgages, you know, all the other factors we mentioned. Um, and so don't look at this simply of like, oh, hey, maybe the Fed rides to our res rescue next year and they start cutting rates and then that's going to magically make everything better. Sounds like you're saying that, that is not where the probabilities are lying. So folks, you know, prepare for at least a year, but maybe up to five years of, of uh, you know, continued losses here. Yeah. And I, and I just want to give a message to people who've been waiting to buy a house. I know a lot of people have been waiting multiple years to buy a house. And so you know, I think if someone has been waiting two years to buy a house, you know, and prices go down enough in 2023 where, you know, it, it works for them perfectly, you know, perfectly acceptable to pull the trigger, right? You know, this, this isn't a one size fits all 
um, you know, discussion here. Um, you know, a lot of people have been waiting for a long time uh, to buy and we'll be, we'll be excited to buy at a lower price. It's just, you got to know what you're getting into, right? You got to have the expectation that if you buy in 2023, the value will go down more after you buy it. And I think a lot of people might be okay with that. You know, if they have a big enough down payment and they like their house and they're going to stay in it for five to 10 years, they might be okay with that. It's just important to uh, arm yourself with that knowledge before you make a purchase decision. Good, good point. Um, one thing to note too is I, I don't want to sell sunshine here, but there may be the opportunity to kind of get your cake and eat it too, which is um, if prices come down to a point where you feel like they're 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 well valued uh, and you buy, um, who knows when that is, 2022, uh, 2023 uh, or 2024. Um, but uh, you know, if if there's still kind of economic ripple effects going on with the Fed is having to address and eventually the Fed, you know, reverts to a more aggressive easing policy. Um, well, if interest rates go down, then you can, you can uh, refinance at better interest rates, right? So let's assume for a second, I know you think that interest rates are going to come down here, Nick, but let's assume by the end of 2023 in a, in a market that you're really interested in, prices have come down 25, 30%, whatever, it, the majority of what you think they're going to come down, but let's say interest rates or mortgage rates are still in the sixes, um, you might you might decide. Well, I can afford that. I'm going to buy it, and you might get the benefit the next year or two because of Fed policy or whatever that interest rates go down to four or three. That's right. And then you refinance there, so you get the cheaper house at a better mortgage in the long run. That's right. The old saying goes that you marry the house but date the mortgage. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I, that's definitely a possibility. I think, look, it's very very realistic to expect declining prices and mortgage rates into the future. One thing I would caution people on, though, I see some people, I've talked to some people the last three or four months, they've used that as an excuse to buy today because they think, I'll just refi at a lower mortgage rate in a year. The problem with that logic is if you buy at a price that's too high a year from now and you try to refi, your loan that you can refi at is going to be less than the loan you got when you bought the house. Good point, yep. So you... You might re be able to refi a lower mortgage rate, but then you're going to have to bring in cash uh, and you're going to need the cash to pay down uh, that element on the existing mortgage, which isn't taken out. So that's just one thing to think about in a declining price environment could be risky to think that I could just refi in the future uh, because you could, but then you might not get the mortgage you got today. That's a great point, Nick. I'm, I'm glad you underscored that. Um, one other thing to let folks know too about a declining environment is uh, you know, sometimes people just look at price and uh, mortgage rates and, and they say, well, you know, OK, if mortgage rate goes down by X amount, I'll pay X more in price and vice versa. Um, but they're not taking into account things like property taxes, which are based off of the assessed value of your house. So it benefits you in the long run to buy low because your property taxes, at least in a state like California, um, will be based on that lower purchase price. That's right. And it depends on the market, like some cities and uh, counties do assessments differently. But in general, one thing a lot of people in like Texas, for instance, are struggling with right now is that they're buying in Texas at an assessed value that's 30, 40% higher than it was the previous year. So their property yeah. taxes are just insane. And uh, yeah, so that is a struggle for a lot of people. You got to look in at the all in cost, mortgage, taxes, insurance, maintenance. How does that compare to renting? And you got to make your decision that way. All right. Well, look, and wrapping up here, Nick, um, I understand that you are in process of launching uh, an app 
to help uh, real estate buyers, uh, investors, realtors, et cetera. Is there anything you can share about that at this point? Sure. Yeah. This app is going to be ready in early 2023. It's going to be called Reventure App. And really the biggest question that I get from people is, how do I know that it's going to be a good time to buy? When is it going to be a good time to buy? How much your price is going to go down? And this app is going to help you answer that question for every city, every county, and every zip code in America. Uh, it'll have a ranking and a grade and a percentage of overvaluation or undervaluation. So you can uh, make a better, more informed decision about where home prices are going in your neighborhood before you buy. And it'll have downloadable market reports. A uh, certain element of it's going to be free for everyone to use. Um, and it's going to be out in early 2023. So it's a reventure app. That's www.reventure.com dot app if you want to get on the waiting list for that. All right, great. That sounds super fascinating and super useful. Um, so Nick, I'll put up the link to that URL you just mentioned when we edit this. So interested folks can go get it there. And, and, and is there something right now, like a initial beta prototype that they can interact with? There is a beta prototype that's only available to my channel members on YouTube. However, I'm going to have updates coming in the next couple of weeks. Um, on the blog on the Reventure app. So if you want those updates and to see what's going on, uh, just put yourself on the on the waiting list and you'll get those emails. All right, fantastic. All right, then Nick, um, and just for folks that have really enjoyed this conversation, maybe you're getting to, to listen to you for the first time, even though you've been on this channel before, um, where else can they go to learn more about you and follow your work? Sure, so uh, first place to go would be the Reventure app website, but then also follow me on YouTube, uh, Reventure Consulting YouTube channel. I'm actually in the middle of a break right now from posting on YouTube about a month and a half in, but I'm going to start posting again in early 2023. I have two to three videos a week of housing market content, uh, showing a lot of the data that I talked about in this video. Uh, additionally, I'm on Twitter, um, at Nick Jurley one at Nick Jurley one on Twitter. Okay, great. And I'll put up those URLs too, when we edit this. Um, and I will say, I know you're, you've been taking a little bit of a hiatus from the, the YouTube channel, um, but you got a lot of great, an archive of just great videos there too. So while folks are waiting for you to come back in action, there's plenty there on the, the Reventure YouTube channel uh, to help educate folks uh, if they're interested in diving more further into just sort of understanding real estate uh, in general. Um, but anyways, Nick, thanks so much for coming back on. I always love these conversations with you. They're super animated. They're super data packed um, and they're super useful. You know, everybody has a roof over their head, needs to have a roof over their head. Um, a lot of people watching this are homeowners, uh, home investors, and a lot of people are itchy uh, to become homeowners when prices are better. And so you're providing a, a immense service here by really helping people keep their finger on the pulse of what's going on here. So thank you. Thank you, Adam. It was great being back uh, with, with you here. All right, folks. Well, look, if you uh, have enjoyed this discussion with Nick, would like to see him back on the channel, um, and other great domain experts like him uh, here on Wealthion, please do me a favor and help support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And, um, you know, uh, Nick has raised a lot of issues that I'm sure have put a lot of questions and concerns in the minds of, of homeowners about, you know, maybe what, what should we do, right? Uh, especially if we have, uh, you know, investment properties or whatnot. Um, those type of decisions, um, especially in a market environment like this, where you don't have to worry about just what's going on in the, the housing market, but we've got lots of concerns about what's going on in the general financial markets in general, and perhaps even in the jobs market with your own income. Um, uh, trying to make those decisions can be overwhelming for a lot of people. And so it's just one of the many reasons why I underscore that people 
uh, get to go work under the guidance of a professional financial advisor who understands well and recognizes all the macro risks uh, that we talk about in this channel, but specifically in terms of housing that we talked about with Nick here today. If you've got a great one, phenomenal, stick with them. Uh, but if you don't, or you'd like a second opinion uh, of an advisor who does, consider scheduling a free consultation with the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses. Doesn't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with them. It's just offered by these guys as a public service to help people make more informed, more prudent decisions. Uh, to do that, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there, only takes a couple of seconds. Again, Nick, such a pleasure. Look forward to having you back on in Q1 to give us an update on uh, where things are, uh, how things are faring there based upon your read of the data at that time, if you're willing to come back on then. Oh, that would be great. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching.